Galatians chapter 5. If you are a guest here tonight, we are glad that you're with us. And we welcome you here at Plaque Road Baptist Church and want to be a blessing to you tonight through the Word of God. And challenge for all of us, as always, is to open our heart to what God has for us tonight. Amen. And we continue in our series through the epistle to the Galatian churches. And if you have not been with us, we've been working our way here, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. And the reason he wrote this epistle was because uh, they were departing from the faith in, in one particular area in that they were starting to believe uh, what the Judaizers were teaching, that Gentiles, in order for them to be saved, also needed to be circumcised and keep the law. And so Paul is rather stern in his writing to these churches because they were departing. And, uh, and he said in chapter 1 that uh, they had so soon been removed from Him that had called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. It's not another one of the same kind. It's a false gospel. And so Paul was defending the faith. He was defending his ministry as well. And we've worked our way so far uh, that Paul has gone through the personal side of things, doctrinal side of things, and now he's really at the practical where salvation by grace through faith, how it applies in our life. And the section that we're in is verses 13 to 21, really 13 through 26, rather, the end of the chapter, which we'll work our way through there. But let's read those verses again. Because we, we started in this last week, and this passage, this portion right here, is probably one of the most crucial in the entire closing of this section of Galatians, because in it, Paul gives us three ministries of the Holy Spirit of God that enable the believer in the Christian life and enable us to live in liberty in Jesus Christ. And so let's look at verse 13 and read on down. We'll do a little review, and then we'll get to where we're going tonight. And I won't keep you long tonight. Uh, we're going to uh, finish this section uh, and then uh, what we have for tonight, and then we'll continue next week, Lord willing. Verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. <clears throat> and we started this section last week, and 
again, the three ministries of the Holy Spirit that Paul mentions here that really enable the believer to to live and enjoy liberty in Jesus Christ and to be victorious in Christ. And the first that we mentioned was that the Holy Spirit of God enables us to fulfill the law of love. And we saw in verses 13 through 15 where Paul mentions here, he says, first of all, he explains our calling. He says in verse 13, you've been called unto liberty. And, and Paul says that the Christian is a free man. He's free from the guilt of sin because he's experienced the, the forgiveness of God. He's free from the penalty of sin because Christ died for him on the cross. But he's also free from the power of sin in his daily life through the Holy Spirit of God. Then Paul gives a caution in verse 13. He says, You've been called unto liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. The caution that Paul issues here is don't allow your liberty to degenerate into license. In other words, Paul's caution is that Christian liberty is not a license to sin, but rather it's actually an opportunity to serve. That leads to his next thought, which he says at the end of verse 13, but by love serve one another. And so Paul gives a command here, by love, serve one another. You know the amazing thing about love, God's love and love for the brethren, is that it takes the place of all the laws of God, all the laws that God ever gave. Look at verse 14. Notice what he says here. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love thy neighbor as thyself takes the place of all the other laws that God gives concerning mankind with mankind and relationships to man. Love thy neighbor as thyself solves every problem of human relations. Did you know that? And we looked at Romans 13. Just keep your place here. Let's go back and look at it again. In Romans 13, in verse 8, Paul says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Paul says here that in, in Romans chapter 8, that love doesn't work any ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And if you love people because you love Christ, you're not going to have it in the heart and in the mind to do things or, or respond and react in ways that would hurt other people. You're not going to lie about other people if you love Christ and you love people because of Christ. You're not going to gossip about people if you love people because you love Christ. You're not going to envy others the good that happens in their life or, or be jealous over that or them. You're not going to want to hurt them in any way because all you really want is their good. And that's why Paul says love is the fulfilling of the law. And the Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to fulfill the law of love. You can't do that in the flesh. My flesh doesn't want to respond right when people say bad things about me. Right? My flesh wants to retaliate. 
I can't do that in the flesh. And love for others is really what causes us to set ourselves aside and even set our schedules aside and other things to take the time to serve and minister to people. And apparently the Galatian believers were lacking in that kind of love because Paul says they were biting and devouring one another. Look at verse 15 of Galatians 5. He says, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And the picture that Paul is painting here is of wild animals that are attacking each other viciously with no mercy. They were in danger of destroying one another, he says. And you know that strife and disunity that's allowed to fester in a home, in a church, in relationships, is surely going to destroy those relationships. It's surely going to destroy that church. And unless the Holy Spirit of God is permitted to fill hearts with love, selfishness and competition is what is going to reign. And that's what the flesh will create. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so that leads to the next ministry of the Spirit in verses 16 to 21, that the Spirit also enables us to overcome the flesh. He says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now Paul mentions a conflict here. Because if you get to verse 17, Paul says, The flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So Paul mentions a conflict here. There's this conflict between the spirit and the flesh. And when Paul is talking about the flesh, he's not talking about the physical body per se. He's talking about our sin nature, the old man, our will. And the body, in a sense, is neutral. Because if the Holy Spirit of God is controlling you, you're not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh with the body. You're going to do the will of God. If the flesh is controlling you, you're going to do and fulfill the desires of the old man, the sinful flesh, with the body. And so, in a sense, the body is neutral. The Spirit of God can control it or the flesh can control it. And if we walk in the lusts or the desires of the flesh, the flesh is absolutely in control. The flesh and the Spirit have different appetites. One agrees with God, one does not. And this is what creates the conflict. And there's literally a war that rages for control on the inside of a believer. Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now there's something here that we need to remember and understand. Because Paul says, if you walk in the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Verse 17 says that there's a war that's happening between the two so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And the thing that we need to remember about this and and make note of is that the Christian cannot simply will himself to overcome the flesh. Not with your willpower. Not with self-determination. Not with discipline. Those are good things 
but they are not sufficient things to overcome or overpower the flesh. These two, the spirit and the flesh, are opposed to each other so that you cannot do the things that you would. It takes a different power source. Then you get to verse 18, and Paul talks about this conquest. And notice what he says, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. This verse literally means that if you are willingly led because you yield, if you're willingly led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. You know what that phrase, under the law, means? It means compelled by conscience or willpower to do right. If you're led of the Spirit, you are not uh, uh, compelled of the conscience and of your willpower to have to do right. You can't anyway. You're never going to be successful over your flesh with just your willpower. Flesh against flesh will never, ever win. You know the times when you have something in your life that you know is wrong, and you say, I'm going to do better this time. I'm going to work at this. I've got this. I've confessed it. I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm, I'm going to get on the straight and narrow again. And, or I'm going, to, you know, I'm going to consistently read my Bible this week. And I'm going to spend time in the Word this week. And I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to keep my house clean this week. Or whatever it is that you're going through your head. And you get it in your mind that I'm going to get this done. I'm determined. And what happens? Life takes over. Schedules get interrupted. I'm really tired. Don't read my Bible like I should. And on and on it goes. And, and you do that a few times. You feel this frustration inside. Or this thing, that's this thing that I know is sin and wrong in my life, and it just keeps creeping up, and it just keeps coming, and it, and it, and it controls me again, and I give in to it, and I do it, and then I'm sorry again, and what is the problem? Why can't I get victory over this? Well, you're never going to do it with determination or willpower. It takes something different. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why Paul says in verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Part of walking in the Spirit is also abiding in the vine, John chapter 15. If you abide in me, and I in you, my words abide in you. And Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. I was teaching our Sunday school class um, on Sunday, and we were talking about abiding in the vine. And we were talking about what a, you know, a tree that bears fruit. And you think about a branch that is, that where, all the, where does all the fruit appear on a tree? Well, it appears on the branch. But you know what you never see a branch doing? You never see a branch out there going, Oh, I've got to bear fruit! Oh, I've got to try harder to do this! You don't see a branch doing that. What you see is a branch connected to the trunk or the vine. And the life-giving sap that comes out of that tree naturally just begins to produce the fruit in the branch as long as it's connected to the vine. And Jesus said that you need to bear fruit. And Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. But you can't do it without me. It's not your job. It's your job to stay connected to the vine. And so the point is, and that Paul says, is you've got to walk in the Spirit and you're not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And that's where we stopped last time. And there's a third thought here underneath this 
second ministry of the Spirit of God where the Holy Spirit enables us to overcome the flesh. And so we saw the conflict there, and we saw the conquest, but thirdly, there's the crucifixion. And I want you to note in verse 19, because now Paul starts to list some of the ugly works of the flesh. And I want you to notice this here. This is what your flesh is going to do. This is what it looks like. And there's something that is completely different that the Spirit does. And you'll be able to tell who's in control by what your life actually looks like. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul makes a list here, and there's much more because he says, and such like. There's other things too. This isn't an exhaustive list here. But he makes a list of, of some of the ugly works of the flesh. You, you find similar lists in Mark chapter 7 and Romans chapter 1. And, and what you'll find is that the flesh is always able to manufacture sin, but it can never, ever produce the righteousness of God. And the reason for that is because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That's the reason it can't produce righteousness, because your heart is wicked and deceitful. Now, this list can be divided up into three parts. There's the sensual sins in verse 19. There's the superstitious sins in verse 20. And then there's the social sins, the second part of verse 20, and into verse 21. The sensual sins, he says in verse 19, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Those are all physical things that you already understand and know what those things are. Then there's the superstitious sins of verse 20. He said, notice the first two words, idolatry and witchcraft. And, I kinda, and then we're going to get to the social sins, which I kind of suspect that this is where you and I mostly live. And we'll talk about those in a second. But notice the word idolatry there. That's simply putting things ahead of God. We're to worship God, love people, and use things. But too often Christian people get that backwards, and we use people, love self, and worship things, leaving God out of the picture completely. That is the nature of the flesh. And Jesus tells us that whatever we worship, that's what we serve. Matthew 4.10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Matthew 6.24, No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. It's not possible to serve two masters. And the Christian who devotes more to himself, to his job, or to any other thing than he does to the Lord is in danger of idolatry. It's a work of the flesh. Witchcraft is the next word. It comes from the Greek word pharmakia, which is where we get our English word pharmacy from. And it means the use of drugs. That's what it means. And in Paul's day, there were sorcerers and 
others who used drugs to gain control and gain power. But of course, sorcery is forbidden in the Bible as well as any other activity of the occult. It's all a work of the flesh. It's not of God. It's a different spirit. But then you get to the social sins. And like I said, I think this is probably where most of us are going to be living. And it might be somewhat revealing. It might be somewhat eye-opening to us as to what actually controls us, the flesh or the spirit. Notice he says in verse 20, the next one, he uses the word hatred. This word means enmity, it means hostility, and it means opposition. But it carries the idea of an attitude of mind that defies and challenges others all the time. It's an attitude that is in opposition. It's an attitude that is in defiance and challenging others all the time, often related to my way is the best way or I don't want to listen to another way. And so there's an attitude of heart that challenges. And 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 that attitude leads to the next word, variance. You see that word there? That word means quarreling, and it means contention, and it means debate. And so the attitude of the heart that is challenging or that's defiant leads to this variance, this quarreling, this contention, this debate. And I would ask this question, What are you known for by others? What's the reputation that you hold or that you have with others? I was talking to somebody not that long ago. It was a couple weeks ago. And I was having this conversation with this individual, and we were discussing a particular situation. And this individual was describing and expressing how they knew this person in the past and so on. And their impression of them was that this person was always a negative person. Always seemed to be a complaining person. That was the impression that they had every time they were around them. Always seemed to have something negative to say, some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of complaint to have about somebody else. Just this, this, just this overall feeling or impression that they were just a pretty negative, complaining person. And... To their credit, this individual said, you know, it seems like they've really grown. It seems like they've changed. They're not quite like that, like I remember. And praise the Lord if you're growing in the Lord, right? There's there's change. You're moving in the right direction. Praise the Lord. But the point I'm making was that individual had left an impression. That individual had left a reputation with other people as somebody who was a complainer, uh, someone who was a negative person. And the question is, what reputation do you have among other people? And my friend, it might be something that is a revealer of what is actually controlling you and me. The flesh or the spirit. And we can, try, we can just dismiss things sometimes. Oh, it doesn't really matter what somebody says. But you know what? Other people are actually a good reflection of us. They really are. Your spouse is a really good reflection of you. When your spouse comes to you and says this and this and this, you can't just dismiss it and write it off. You know why? Because they see things for what they really are. You do not. I do not. We're not good judges of our own character. They become a really good reflection in a mirror of what we are. And Paul's saying these are the works of the flesh. This decoraling, this contention, 
And remember, they were biting and devouring one another. This attitude of mind that was defiant or challenging. Notice the next one he says, emulations. This word means jealousies or rivalries. And it gives the, the hint or the impression, carries the idea of, of somebody who can't really ever be in cooperation with other people. And, it's, and it kind of has the connotation of, of not being in cooperation because of jealousy of position, like competition or rivalry. And how tragic when Christians compete one with another. And how tragic when Christians try to make another one look bad in the eyes of other people to elevate themselves or make themselves look better. How sad and how tragic. My friend, that is a work of the flesh and it does not look good on you as a Christian person. Then he says wrath. The word means angry to, to the point of breathing hard. And it pictures the flaring of the nostrils. You, you can imagine the kind of anger that someone has in that moment the, to, the, to the point where they're, they're just worked up and they're breathing hard and the nostrils flare and so on. It describes somebody who has outbursts. It describes a short fuse. It describes somebody who's easily angry. That turns into more debate and quarreling, contention, etc., etc. That's a work of the flesh. What are you known for? If that's a reputation, it might be something to take note of that my flesh actually might be controlling me more than I think it does. There's strife. The next one is strife. It means factions and contention. And usually the faction or the contention comes because it's not happening my way. And it carries the idea of self-seeking, self-ambition that creates division in the church. Self-seeking, self-ambition that creates division in the church. And that really leads into the next two words, which are seditions and heresies. And those two words are kindred words. Those words mean disunion and division. And so Paul's saying these factions and these contentions uh, that, that are from self-seeking, self-ambition, that start to create division in the church brings disunion, and it brings division in the church. And, and the two are, are similar words. Sedition suggests division, and heresy suggests cliques that are caused by a party spirit. In other words, the division happens because, and the cliques happen because we're on this side, and you're on that side. How tragic when a church that's supposed to be a body, right? That's supposed to work together for the good of the whole. That's supposed to be edified. And becomes filled with factions and cliques and disunion and division because the flesh has got control over people. It can happen for a number of reasons. It can happen when church leaders are promoting themselves and insisting that people follow them and their thinking rather than getting answers from the Lord. That happened in the church at Corinth, the party spirit. It wasn't because the church leaders were promoting themselves, but inside of the body, 
there was this division going on that was self-serving and self-seeking. The Greek word translated as heresy means to make a choice. You're choosing which side you're going to be on, choosing which causes the divisions. And And then he mentions envyings. Envyings means jealousy, and it means spite, and it suggests the holding of a grudge or desire for what others have. You ever known somebody who just can't be happy for other people when good things happen to them? You ever known somebody like that? Why can't people just be happy for other people when something good happens to them? Like this happened in their life. You're like, hey, praise the Lord. I'm so happy for you. That makes me really joyful. I'm glad that you're benefiting. I'm so happy for you that this has happened in your life. You ever known somebody who just can't be happy for other people? Many times it's because they're jealous that it isn't happening for them. And so they can't rejoice. Proverbs 14 and verse 30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Wow, what a verse. And then Paul says in verse 21, well, he mentions murders. You know what murders are. Drunkenness, you know what that is. Revelings, that's wild partying kind of living. And he says, and such like. In other words, there's more on this list. There's other things that the flesh will do, the deeds of the flesh. This is what it looks like. And then he says, I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, the person who practices these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to make this clear that Paul is not talking about any one particular act of sin, but he's talking about a habit of sin. They that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about a lifestyle, a person's lifestyle, the way that they live where the flesh constantly controls, and this is what it looks like. Those people are not saved people, and they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But you need to understand this. Our flesh is still capable of anything. We have two natures. We have the old man still. We've got the new nature created in Christ Jesus. But our flesh is still capable of anything. And so the question is, how does the Christian believer handle the old nature then when it's capable of producing such horrible things, which we just read? Well, look at verse 24. Paul says, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Here's how you handle the old nature. Here's what needs to be done. The old nature's got to be crucified. And Paul explains that the believer is identified with Christ in his death. He's identified with Christ in His burial, and He's identified with Christ in His resurrection. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says this, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He says your new lifestyle and the way that you live ought to be new in the likeness of Christ. And then he says in verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. 
And here's the application. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth or here on out, we should not serve sin. Paul tells us that the flesh, for in Christ, the flesh has already been crucified. It's our responsibility to believe that and act on it by yielding ourselves and our will to the Holy Spirit of God. Paul says when we're in Christ, you and I, we're not debtors to the flesh anymore. We're debtors to the Spirit. In Romans 8 and verse 12, Romans 8, 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He says that we're not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. The old man's crucified. If we live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if through the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we're going to live. And he also says in Romans 7, in the flesh there doesn't dwell any good thing at all. It's corrupt and it's deceitful and it's wicked. And he says in Romans 13 that we should not make provision for the flesh because it's corrupt. And the flesh is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be, Romans 8 and verse 7. And so the flesh cannot possibly please God, Romans 8 and verse 8. There's nothing good about our flesh. It needs to be crucified. But we cannot do that with our own willpower. We need the power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God enables us to overcome the flesh when we yield to Him and we abide in the vine, which is Jesus Christ. The third ministry of the Spirit in this passage is that then the Holy Spirit of God produces fruit in us. And you're going to find that in verses 22 and 23, and we'll consider this in depth next time. But look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Do you notice the list that Paul makes here concerning the fruit that the Spirit of God produces looks so much different than the list that Paul talks about that the works of the flesh and the deeds of the flesh? You notice that? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit really jumps out at you when it's in direct comparison to what the flesh will produce or what the flesh will do. It's amazing the night and day difference, how different that looks and what the flesh will bring forth. And so the question again is, what do you look like? Does love describe you? Does joy describe you? Does peace and gentleness and meekness and long-suffering with others, goodness, does that what describes you? The works of the flesh never look good on a Christian. The Christian life, friend, can be two-sided, all in the same body. Because we have two natures. Paul said in verse 17, the spirit lusteth against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. These are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. 
The Christian life can be two-sided in the same body. We have the capacity to look like either one. Let me say it again. Are you following me here? I'm almost done. We have the capacity to look like either one. What the Spirit of God will produce or what the flesh will produce. Did you know that hate has four letters in it? But so does love. Enemies has seven letters in it. But so does friends. Lying has five letters in it. But so does truth. Cry has three letters in it. But so does joy. Evil has four letters in it. But so does good. Negativity has ten letters in it, but so does positivity. The point I'm making is that the Christian life can be two-sided, but we choose which one we look like by who or what we are yielding ourselves to. What do you look like? What describes your life? What reputation do you have? Does it look like the Spirit of God producing fruit, love, joy, peace, Is that the reputation? Or is it hatred and variance and emulation and strife and contention and envying and factions and debate and negativity? See what I'm saying? We choose which one we look like based on who or what we are yielding ourselves to. Walk in the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. In fact, the Spirit's going to start to produce something different. In you. And may the Lord help us to examine ourselves and examine my own life and then, and then say, Lord, I want to yield to you and I want you to create in me that which looks like Jesus Christ. That's what I want. And Lord, I yield myself to you today. Next time we're going to talk about all the fruit of the Spirit But verse 25 says, if we live in the Spirit, meaning if you're a child of God and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, then let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's look like it. Amen? That's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit enables us to overcome the flesh. And next time we'll see what the Spirit produces in the child of God who will yield to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, again for Your Word and for its instruction to us. Instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good works. Lord, may we ponder and think on these truths tonight and let the Word of God be a mirror and a reflection of us. And may we not be resistant. Lord, there might be some areas that we struggle in or that we're weak in and the flesh is controlling us more than we think or imagine. Lord, I pray that our heart would be, Lord, to crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts and yield to the Spirit of God that you can make us what you want us to be, that we can, Lord, accurately represent and reflect Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.